I came across a TikTok and this TikTok said, hey, do you want to make more? You want to make money in real estate without any credit and without any cash? And I was like, I went to my wife and I was like, babe, check this out. You should try this. And she was like, no. And I was like, all right, I'll do it. And so I went to my mom and I was like, mom, I mean, I've joined this discord. I'm trying to learn this thing about like real estate. So I was like, I'm thinking about doing this thing. And she goes, you know, that's what I do. Right. And I was like, what do you mean? And she goes, I work at a hedge fund and I work with wholesale. I purchase properties from wholesalers. Little did I know she was one of the like five acquisitionists at Amherst. Hey everybody, thank you for joining us for today's episode of Real Estate Disruptors. Today we've got Devin Robinson with the installment method and Devin flew in from Charlotte, North Carolina to talk about how to wholesale in 2024. Now I'm on a mission to create 100 millionaires. The information on the show alone is enough to help you become a millionaire in the next five to seven years. If you'll take consistent action, you will become one. And the show is brought to you by our sister company, InvestorLift. Get access to millions of cash buyers across the country. Go to InvestorLift.com, put in Disruptors to get 10% off. And guys, if you get value out of today's show, please hit that subscribe button. That way we can all grow together. You ready? Let's get it. All right. So first question is, what was your life like right before you got into real estate? Ooh, okay. Right before real estate. Uh, that's a good question. People are always like, oh, what was your life like when you were a kid growing up? Yeah. Um, right before real estate was really interesting. So I am on my, and I have a spreadsheet for this. It's kind of funny. I got a spreadsheet. I'm on my like 16th venture, eighth business. Um, <laughs> and like I take, like I put as a venture, sometimes I'll put like a course that I've done before or like YouTube or a podcast. I think that's like you put effort into it. That's a venture. But like my eighth business, some have crashed and burned, some I've sold, which so I, I'm coming out of, I'm coming out of a wedding photography company. So I owned a wedding photography company, but like, not like, oh, that's cute. Like you take photos. That's nice. Um, and, and I'm really thankful. Uh, I was able to build this up to probably like top 1% of top 1% of wedding photographers in the, in the, in the world. Probably I spoke at conferences around the world, photographed weddings in 26 different countries mm -hmm. around the world, photographed celebrities you name it at the Biltmore, like you name it. Mm -hmm. So, um, really interesting. It was a, it was a really cool experience. My wife and I got to travel to every Island and bunch of countries and do that stuff. So it was good for that season of life. But then once we started like fostering kids and settling down, weddings are all like nights and weekends. And so like, it just kind of sucked honestly to get videos of my kids being like night, night daddy, you know? And like, so then, and then like, I don't know how much you wanted to go into this geez, but there was like a season where my son played baseball and baseball, his, all his games were on Saturdays, but all weddings are on Saturdays. And so I went to his first baseball game and, um, and it was fun and it was awesome. Cause I played baseball in college. I want my son. He's a massive, he's six years old and he's like four foot four. So he's a massive child. And so I want him to be athletic and love these things. But I went to that first game and I had weddings for the rest of the summer and missed every single game and he didn't even make it to the end of the season. He quit like three or four, three or Jeez. four games in. And so for me, I was like, if I was there, would he have quit? And so I just, at that point, I was like, this is not, this is not the lifestyle for me. I want to, I want to work a nine to five, take my kids. So I have non-negotiables now. I take my kids to school every, every other day. And then I pick them up from school every day. It's a non-negotiable. All my company knows if they call me at this time, I'm literally with my kids in the car. Mm -hmm. So like, don't call me. And so, um, I like that. So I have people when they call me, it's like, are your kids in the car? Yeah. They know <laughs> yeah, like, that's we're, right. we're chaperoning between, uh, between from either piano to Kung Fu or whatever. They just know that I'm in the middle of chaperoning. Yeah. 
with the kids. Uh, so you talked about like a, a photography business. I mean, like let's let's talk about like you know, you say a business. Yeah. This is not a side hustle. This is not. Oh no. You're you're, you're this is not something that you're just doing on the on on the weekends. You're an operation. Oh yeah. So I had fifteen photographers at seven different states at one point. We were doing a hundred and like thirty weddings a year, and my average cost for my photographers was around six thousand dollars a wedding. The average cost for me is like 15,000 a wedding. So yeah. like, um, no, this is not like, this is all I did. Yeah. And you were talking to me about this. So it was like crazy, like to justify you going out to another country. Yeah. It has to be significant cost. Yeah. So like you were saying like, you know, just to fly to Paris. Yeah. Like what's it, what are you charging for you to go fly to Paris? Yeah. So typically like it would be my regular package collection, which they're like, um, when I finished, my packages were like uh, 9,000, but nobody ever booked that one because it was like, you don't get anything for that. The next one was like 12,000 and then, or 12,500, and the next one was 21,000. And so 21,000 included a lot of the, the flights and stuff like that. But if people didn't go with that one, then it would be whatever the cost of, whatever the cost of flying there, plus the accommodations, and then plus like a day rate. Because like when I go internationally, I'm gone for five days mm -hmm. and that sucks be away from my family for five days. If I'm like stateside, I'm gone for three days, but internationally is just like a whole different thing. Cause I don't want to fly. I could tell you some crazy stories of me flying to other countries and flights getting delayed or whatever. So like, it's like, I'm not flying in the day before the wedding because okay. what if I miss the wedding? That yeah. would suck. And I've had some very close calls. So but, uh, it's pretty expensive. Who's the most famous person you did for a wedding? Uh, I did, I actually did a lot of professional athletes. So cool guy, Charlie Blackman plays for the Rockies. Craig guy, mm -hmm. Walker Bueller for the Dodgers. I'm a diehard Dodgers fan. Got the tattoo right here. Uh, Walker Bueller, uh, another Rockies pitcher. So mostly like professional baseball players. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry to hear about the, the Dodgers. I think, I think, I think, I think we stopped you guys in the, in the playoffs this year, but it's no big deal. Oh, that's well, just, that's just in the past. It's fine. Who, so, wait, who's your team again? Oh, the Diamondbacks. Oh my gosh, please, <laughs> please. So, uh, all right. So you saw what was happening with your son mm -hmm. and you saw that this is not lining up with what you wanted to do. How profitable was the wedding business before you shut it down? Good question. So I think we were, we were operating at like 70% profit margins because like really it comes down to time. I was outsourcing a lot of the uh, I was outsourcing a lot of the the um, the editing to an outsourcing agency, and then I would just pay my people for the time that they were there. So, like, let's say I had a six thousand dollar wedding, probably about three three thousand dollars of that is a three thousand dollars of that one specifically is going to be expenses, whether it be from the editors to paying my contracted photographers and then storage, stuff like that. But then if I'm shooting a wedding, then the profit margins are significantly higher because then mm -hmm. all I'm paying for is the storage and the editing. Whereas, uh, this is funny that we're talking about this. Uh, whereas like, so then, and then I'm paying myself. Mm -hmm. So, and that comes out of a salary from the company. So the profit margins are much higher when I book myself. This, right. but yes. But like, you're making like six figures, multiple oh, six yeah, figures. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, uh, I try to, I try not to be too crazy, but my salary was six figures for sure doing that. Okay. Because yeah. just for context, right? Because for someone that's shut down a lucrative business that, you know, like you got all your dopamine hits. You're speaking yeah. at events. You were running conferences. Yeah. There's a lot of dopamine there. There you is. You feel pretty good about yourself. So to walk away 
from something where you have reputation mm-hmm. and money. Yeah. It's not a small fee. That's true. So what was that like making that transition? Great question. Great question. For me, it came down to the lifestyle I wanted. Uh, really to be able to have, well, <laughs> and this is also really funny. So I love doing a bunch of different things and I always have my hands in a bunch of different things. Mm-hmm. And I'm learning now to scale that down, to be really intentional and direct my life in a certain way for a vision that I have. But uh, I, at the time I was running this business and it was kind of getting like, eh, cause I'd been doing it for five or six years. And I actually had a boss once tell me, he was like, Devin, I don't think you'll ever work for one person for longer than five years. And I was like, ah, well, we'll see. I did quit that job when they were trying to give me a promotion. So he's probably right. But I was getting to that five-year range, I guess I would say, in that business. And it just kind of got to where it was like, there's not really any more way I can go in this. It's a wedding photography company. You can't, unless I scale up the more, more amount of people that I have in the company and, and all of that, which is just like, eh, you can only charge so much for a wedding. You can only do this. And then I, and so I came across a TikTok and this TikTok said, Hey, do you want to make more, you want to make money in real estate without any credit and without any cash? And I was like, I went to my wife and I was like, babe, check this out. You should try this. And she was like, no. And I was like, all right, I'll do it. And so, uh, because of TikTok, I saw, I got introduced to like real estate wholesaling and we took off so fast. Um, that it was a little bit scary. And I'll give you a little bit of a secret why. So I went to my mom and I was like, mom, I mean, I've joined this discord. I'm trying to learn this thing about like real estate because like I've got, I've gotten to this point in real, in, in wedding photography. I want to start looking into real estate. Real mm-hmm. estate is like, it seems like the next natural progression to investing. when you got mm-hmm. more money. So I was like, I'm thinking about doing this thing. And she goes, you know, that's what I do. Right. And I was like, <laughs> what do you mean? And she goes, I work at a hedge fund. And I work with wholesale. I purchase properties from wholesalers. Little did I know she was one of the like five acquisitionists at Amherst. So, um, so I was like, oh, interesting. So then she was like, you should just do this. You should go on Zillow for sell by owner. And you should, uh, man, this is a heck of a story. You should go on Zillow for sell by owner, start negotiating them. And then like, you can sell them to us. And I was like, fantastic. Let me go ahead and start doing that. So then it started, I started doing it. It started working. So I got together with some of my friends and I was like, guys, this is incredible. I think we can make, we can make 20, we're making $20,000 a house. Cause that's the most that a hedge fund will let you do. So we're anywhere between like seven and $10,000 a house. And I was like, guys, I've got the plug. So all you do, you guys go negotiate these with these Zillow for sell by owner people. And then I've got the connection. I'll give you 50%. <laughs> Little did I know, like this would turn into a huge business. So we did in the first six months, we did 70 deals. So it grew very fast. So in six months, we did like $700,000. And like, I didn't even know what the heck wholesaling was. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I was giving away the farm. I didn't realize it was quickly going to turn into a business. So then it started taking up a lot of my time. But I saw it to be like significantly better and easier and more like better on my time than wedding photography. So it just, I actually did not exit very well at all from that wedding photography company. I was just like, Okay, no, I'm done. And like cold turkey kind of just like stopped and let the people that I did have SOPs built out and stuff, but not as well as I do now. Um, and so then it started just slowly declining until I sold it. And so uh, because it's still like in my area in Charlotte, it's one of the, it's still one of the largest. I haven't touched it in two years, and the cell is just finalizing. And so like it's still 
one of the largest wedding photography companies in Charlotte and I haven't touched it in two years. And so the, um, so the, the transition happened, but the thing that really affected me was that I was giving away the farm to my friends because I didn't realize it was going to actually turn into a business. And I was paying for CG and doing all these expenses while they were taking literally 50% of uh, gross revenue mm -hmm. from everything we brought in. So they're living it up. I had acquisition people making like 80K in, in three months. And so they were living it up. And they were some of my best friends as well, which made this extremely difficult because I brought in my business partner, Carl, and we just realized quickly, like, hey, this can't, this is not sustainable. We can't do this. So then I, and I'm really thankful, um, was in Collective Genius, still am, was in Collective Genius and was like, hey guys, what's the normal rate for an acquisition person? What does that look like? Because I'm paying 50%, you know? And they're like, oh, what? You're an idiot. So I, uh, then I went back to my friends because I, like, we got- we I had, think you and I had this conversation as well. I think we, I think we did on the phone. Yeah. yeah. I think we did. Um, Cause like, I was actually like, whoa, thanks for Facebook messaging me back and giving me your phone number. And so I do remember that. And I was super thankful for that conversation. So I went to, so we all, we all got together. They lived in San Diego. We got together and I was like, guys, I can't pay you this much. And they're like, no, Devin, we love you. We know like we're good friends. We're in for you, whatever you want. And I was like, listen, most whole, like acquisition people get paid eight, 12, not even really 15%. Maybe. And so I was like, um, but I'll do like 20, 20% for you guys. Cause, and they were just like, no. And, um, and it really was hard because in that moment, like, um, these people that we thought we were going to like my, our best friends, we were going to move to San Diego, be a part of something with them. And, and they were really good friends with us. They ended up completely turning on me. And one of them kept doing that stuff with my mom, like, without me. And so like, it was just really a tough season to see like my friends do that. And then what happened after that was the, uh, the market started crashing. Like the market started going down, hedge funds stopped buying, uh, everything started like drying up. And then, uh, I didn't know what the heck I was doing. Mm -hmm. I really didn't. I had to lay off my staff. We had no more. So from, so from July, June, July to October, 70 deals. And then from October or November to to February, four deals. And so like literally jumped right off of a table, <laughs> crashed and burned. And, and I didn't know what to do. And so I spent from, I had to lay off my staff. And I remember uh, the one thing that I, that I knew in my heart of hearts was like, this is worth it though. Mm -hmm. Like I could have quit. I could have gone back to what I knew was comfortable. I could have gone back to wedding photographer, but like this was it. And not because like, oh, the money seems like it's good. But I think there's a unique opportunity to scale impact uh, when you get into something that like real estate and you can be able to build generational wealth with it. You can be able to affect the world with it. You could be able to do so many things that I was like, this is it. This is what I want to dedicate and work really hard on. So I spent the next six months literally head down building out SOPs. And one of the biggest ways that I was, because the reason I was able to do that was because I had people in mastermind helping me through that. So I wasn't like on it by myself um, because I think a smart person learns from their own mistakes, but a wise person learns from others' mistakes. Mm -hmm. And so being able to have people around me that can help me with those mistakes was really, or maybe help me not go through those mistakes or help me recover from my mistakes mm -hmm. was significantly like just kind of one of the best things that I ever had for me. Do you remember which TikTok video 
Oh, I know exactly the TikTok video. Happy Super Bowl Sunday, guys. My name is Tom Cruise, and this is how you scale Section 8. So, like, this is, this is exactly... But that's not even wholesale. That's Section 8. I know. I know it isn't. But, like, he had this Discord, and then, like, it got me into the... Um, I just know it. Um, it got me into, like, the mindset of getting into real estate investing because part of it, too, was, like... Part of his whole pitch on that, too, is like, oh, and then if you want to, like, to cash flow, you can just wholesale this off to somebody else. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting. I joined the Discord, and then my mom intersected and was like, this is what I do. Yeah. Here's wholesaling. Yeah, Tom Cruise. So it's um, it's funny, right? You're looking at this guy. Uh, this is, He went viral oh, uh, I mean, not, not that long ago. A lot. Uh, but he's like, yeah, you know, like, I'm not going to, like, we when we plan our vacations, we don't ask these people because they're poor. Yeah. Right? <laughs> he didn't do that because he's got a spreadsheet of his friends yeah. and his friends on how much they could spend on vacation. Like, would they be able to spend this much? Like, do they have the time mm -hmm. from work to do it? And so they don't ask Yeah, that people. one. I mean, he actually took that one down because he caught so much heat for it. <laughs> but I mean, talk about like, if you want to have like a soft flex, that, it yeah. worked. And like, you bring it up here, but I've had a couple people like, you know, what do you think of this guy's like, if I can tell the guy runs a legitimate business, right? Yeah, he really does. Uh, he might, seem goofy right but he's not saying anything that sounds wrong nope yeah yeah okay so you you get in there you crush it was carl part of your organization at this time so he wasn't part of it while we were crushing it <laughs> and so it's so, so he funny. only got to see like the the sloppy what what, what was available yeah that's exactly after right the crash. that's exactly right and it's funny because we joke because it was like it was all fine till you came in here carl mm -hmm. um but like He's been incredible for me, still with me. And then we have other businesses together as well. And yeah. so it's just been, he is an incredibly smart. He actually is a guy who he's, and this is one of the cool things about our fund. Like I, I run a fund. This is the first time I'm mentioning this on the podcast, but we have a goal too, to be the largest minority owned real estate fund in America. Mm -hmm. I'm black and Middle Eastern. I, I'm gonna say it on the podcast. I joke. That's like one of the... <laughs> The two worst things to be in America, black and Middle Eastern. And so, like, I'm black and Middle Eastern. I love, um, and I love that heritage. And I actually just the Robinsons from the Middle Eastern side. That's exactly right. The Robinsons. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I have a, uh, a black, uh, black, uh, my other partner is black, six foot nine. We call ourselves D Robin Big because mm. he's huge. We went to college together. And then you've got Carl, who is a South African immigrant who immigrated here during the apartheid. So, like, we are. Uh, minorities that run this fund. And it's really cool to have Carl because he's incredibly intelligent, never had a B in his life mm -hmm. on anything. Um, he's a genius. And so it's cool to have him part of like what we've done, but we joke yeah. that he's the reason it all crashed and burned. <laughs> well, he definitely operates in the genius. So I can see that, right? Having listened to him present a collective genius, he's definitely living inside that, that genius zone. Oh, there's no doubt. Okay. So you crash and burn. Mm -hmm. uh, your friends, I, I've gone different directions. Mm-hmm. So what was it like then picking the pieces back up, right? Because this was, I mean, this is last year. Yeah, this is, so this is, ooh, 2022? Yeah, beginning of 2022. Yeah. Yeah, when it all right. happened. When the fund stopped buying. Stopped buying, that's right. So then what was your, what did you do when the funds stopped Love buying? <clears throat> so uh, I, I just know, like I just knew that in my like heart of hearts that, I don't even know what that phrase means, but anyways, in my heart of hearts, I knew that like, this is it. It's real estate. I'm this far in it. I understand real estate. I just need to push, put my head down and like, and push past this. And so for me, for the next six months, I just spent time searching and decide like, what is real estate wholesaling? How do I do this? Uh, and how do I actually build out systems and processes? So like, if you knew me in college or before this business, I am the outgoing, not system and processes, fly by the edge of my seat. 
Now, if you know me now, it's it's interesting. In Select, people come to me for like building out systems and processes for them. And so like I just I just took on this whole role of like what I needed to be. And I and I use this phrase for us for now. So for us for now, I needed to be in the position to where like I'm building this thing out to have a really strong foundation so that once we once we have money or once we have whatever, then we can build off a solid foundation. So then six months go by, I'm sitting in a room in CG and this guy named Michael Frankie gets up and he, and he gives a presentation on foreclosures. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting. I don't have a whole lot of money to put into marketing right now. I had one cold caller, and then, but I realized I had no sales process, which without a sales process, who cares if you got a cold caller? Like, okay. If you don't have a sales process, hire a freaking Steve so you can get a sales process because it doesn't matter what your marketing does if you have no idea how to close people. So that's the phase I was in. Mm-hmm. Built out the systems and processes, sweet. Got the processes going, let's start our marketing, sweet. And then we got our marketing and I was like, yo, we're getting leads and I have no idea how to close these people. Mm-hmm. So then Michael gives this presentation on foreclosures and Carl uh, Wise and who he is, he was like, this is it, Devin. It's foreclosures. Like, this is what we need to be doing. This is what we need to pivot to. And I was like, eh, but I just got this cold calling stuff. Give me a little bit. So I started building out, right after Michael gave that presentation, I started building out the foreclosure SOP. Full foreclosure. I took his presentation, built out a full SOP based off of his presentation. Mm -hmm. And then um, was still trying to do my cold calling thing and wasn't closing anything. And then I took, um, and then I started learning a lot more about sales process. So like I started learning from you on sales and processes. I started learning from Eric Klein on sales and processes. I started learning from Rin on sales and processes uh, and like how to build that out and what would be applicable for what we were doing. And then we went all in in foreclosures. So that was June that he gave that presentation. And I would say the beginning of August, we went all in on foreclosures. And then like, like, I built out a very robust marketing to foreclosures mm-hmm. operation, and we scaled very quickly on that, which was really cool. What was that robust operation? Um, okay, great. Yeah, so um, I'm happy. Like I said, like very open book. I'll give it all. So one of the things that we did was we built out cold calling. So I had, we do foreclosures in four different states now. So I had a cold caller for each state that was going through and dialing. We had a dialer that would dial twice a week to all the foreclosure listings. We learned how to go to the um, foreclosure attorneys to get the most up-to-date information, all that stuff. So we weren't using like batch leaks to pull our data. I had a I had a VA pulling off of foreclosure sites every single day. And then I would put that onto a spreadsheet. And then I had a batch dialer twice a week that would call the different the spreadsheet on the different states. But then I would have a cold caller for each state manually on Google Voice calling each of those because we seem to have a much higher... Uh, rate of connectivity on those mm-hmm. or whatever the rate is called. We had a much broader connecting rate on that. Then I also had all of my acquisitions sending text videos to each foreclosure that we had on the list. And that was extremely powerful for those text videos because also you have an iPhone, right? Mm-hmm. Steve, let's say you get a, a text message and it comes in green. What do you think? Android. And, okay, Android or a PC or a scam or, or, or a spam or a business yeah. or something like that. And so one of the things that I found that like, there's a psychological trust that comes to with a blue text message. Mm-hmm. If you have an iPhone and it's blue, if you don't know the number, you go, who is this? I, do I know this person? Cause you know, they're real. And so for us, I had all my people using iPhones and then I, I still do. I have them all using iPhones. I have them sending text videos and then they'll send text as well or text pictures, just kind of depending. And then, uh, then one of the things we also know that is when we put that phone number in a in a in an iPhone 
and it comes up blue as well, we know that's a working number. We know that's a real working number. So then we can like target that phone number if we need to. Mm. So we really built out the systems and processes for doing that effectively. And that scaled us pretty quickly. Um, and we were doing some pretty big deals and we still do. So, uh, so when we did that some time ago, uh, cause this is when texting got a little bit harder a couple of years back and uh, delivery rate, deliverability rate yeah. went down. So we mm -hmm. just got burner phones right? nice. and we were sending text messages, not from iPhones, but from a MacBook. Yeah. So we got, okay. we got yep. a MacBook so we can just text them all. And we found a limit to how many text messages you can send per day from your Apple ID. Really? Yeah. Oh, interesting. We I have not found that. I don't know. I don't remember what it was, but I was like, man, we got this workaround. No, we don't. <laughs> but I wonder if it's because were you doing like niche data or were you doing still? Uh, I think we were using at this time. I think we were hitting all the people that were on a, uh, uh, criminal, civil complaints. So criminal complaints, civil complaints, or uh, what was the third thing? Uh, but it's it's a list that's shutoffs. No, it's a list that's not generally available. Like oh. we had to go through the city. Interesting. And we started a whole like nonprofit and everything to. <laughs> Your real workaround to uh, get this list. Hopefully, that list was worth it. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's been an incredible ROI, but it's not scalable. Mm, okay, yeah. that makes sense. So, all right, so uh, using your iPhone, you're texting, you're sending video messages. Yeah, that was that's like the most powerful one. I we would get grown men like when we go on our appointments, grown men crying, being like, like we had a guy distinctly remember in the army, older guy, grown man, be like, it felt like you guys cared about me. Like it felt like I like it was like nobody else. And we're not pitching like sell your house. We're mm -hmm. pitching like let us help you to escape foreclosure, mm -hmm. you know. And so then we walk through that pitch and whatever that is. And so uh, for him, he felt like we actually valued and cared about him when he was in one of the darkest times of his life and didn't know who he could turn to. So those videos were like huge for that. Yeah. So it's funny because Michael Frankie gives his presentation, right? Yeah. And John Kleisch yep. is in my market. Love John. Right. Uh, also CD Select. Mm-hmm. And so we bought this property. That was pre-foreclosure. Uh-oh. But um, even though we didn't, we didn't buy this property, sorry, we recorded a memorandum of this property. So whatever happened in the county, we became the official owner on public records, even though we didn't actually own it. Okay. Interesting. Right? So when he skipped tracing the homeowner, <laughs> he's getting my cell phone. <laughs> Steve got a foreclosure video. <laughs> and so I got this foreclosure video from John Kleisch. I was like, what is this? <laughs> Like, this is brilliant. I love it. It's like, oh, something I took from Michael Frankie, so which is cool. Yeah. All right. Fantastic. So, so obviously, Michael, when you're watching this, like Michael's that, the goat. that presentation obviously had mm -hmm. a big impact. I mean, you've talked about it. You talked about it here. I, I received it from John, Jimmy Reeland, <laughs> one of the guys on PTD. He's yeah. like, he redid everything in his operations based off that presentation from yeah. Michael. So, it's fantastic. I guess we're going to have to have Michael on the show. You got to have him on. Yeah. Um, yeah he, and the good thing about him, he'll come and he'll give all of the value that he can, yeah. so, which is what I love about him. So, all right, so you go back and you re say, okay, this is it, foreclosures, we're going to, I mean, I love you, it's like you went straight to the source, right? A lot of us are getting data from data providers, which yep. is nothing wrong with it. Mm -hmm. It's just, there's a time delay. That's right. That's right? exactly right. The time delay. Yeah, so it you're getting it. fresh. Muddies the water. Muddies the water. <laughs> so you're getting as fresh as possible, mm -hmm. and you're sending video messages. So you got cold callers, you got sending video messages. Um, so then what does your business look like as you, after you execute this process? Cool. So for us then, um, then I actually started building out KPIs, like understanding exactly. So we had a huge spreadsheet of like what the KPIs, because like that's also not very trackable. Mm -hmm. So I had to build out a way to make it trackable. Well, especially because so, it's not in Salesforce. It's not in Someone's Salesforce. IPhone. It's somebody's iPhone. And so then I had to create spreadsheets that were like, 
every time they click, so like it was like, hey guys, you have this up, just click a dot. When you click a dot, it adds all the dots up and then it puts it in the column on how many dots there are when you send a thing. So like definitely the honor system on it, but like I tried to make it as simple as I possibly could for click them. A dot. Just just like just click you could click any key and it counts that as a keystroke and then it puts it in the column and it counts there's 40 keystrokes, the number is 40. And so then like built out a huge KPI spreadsheet for them to have it. So then we became scalable to understand like what are the targets that we have to hit? And so we started hitting 200K months um, pretty quickly after that, which I'm super thankful for. And so- uh, Their uh, company provided iPhones or their iPhones? Company provided. So uh, if you're a guy, you use your own iPhone until you get your first deal under mm -hmm. contract. If you're a girl, you get an iPhone for us, from us. Cause like, that's just, sure we want to protect our guys, but we definitely want to make sure the women are protected mm -hmm. from us, um, by us. And so we got the ladies iPhones, the guys, when you got a house under contract, then you got an iPhone. Yeah. So that's kind of how we did it. So they use their own until then. Gotcha. Uh, and so, yeah, then we started scaling up and then we were closing, we were doing about six contracts a month at that mm -hmm. point, which is fantastic for us because our average deal was at 60 K. So like we were crushing it. And then we figured out a way to not pitch people. So when we pitched people, we didn't give them an offer on their house. Mm -hmm. it, it, we, we stopped giving them a number on the house. So at all, there was no number. It was like, it turned into like what the service was for them. And mm -hmm. then they gave us the number. Mm -hmm. And when you do that, two things happen. They feel valued. They feel served. Our profits went significantly higher. Yeah. Like our profits went way higher. And so by doing that. What was, uh, you said you're in four states. Yep. North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, uh, and Florida. But then we took out Florida because Florida freaking sucks for foreclosures because they'll let somebody be in foreclosure for like three years. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Um, Georgia didn't do as well as we wanted it to do. And then we crushed it in South Carolina. Mm -hmm. We crushed it in South Carolina because wholesaling is essentially if you try to wholesale in South Carolina, they'll send you a cease and desist letter. Mm -hmm. And so- that actually eliminated a ton of the the a ton of the competition for us in South Carolina because we weren't wholesaling in South Carolina. We we're doing the installment method, gotcha. and so that actually gave us a huge advantage on foreclosures in South Carolina. Gotcha. So before we get into that, uh, so you 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 joined Collective Genius. Mm -hmm. Why did you join Collective Genius? So. I am a huge fan of education. So I was an educator in other industries and I equate education like this. I think that education is like, you know, when you go, you travel a lot. So, and this is in the Phoenix airport, they've got those movable walkways, right? Mm -hmm. I will a hundred percent of the time take those because I'll jump on those and then I'll look at the person next to me and look at how fast he's running. And I try to walk as slow as I can. I take really slow steps and still see he's walking super fast and I'm like this. So I know if I move my feet faster, I'm going to fly by him. Mm -hmm. Education is a lot like that. Education is like the conveyor belt at the airport where I have some, the, I have the experience. I have the, the skills. I have the information from somebody else guiding me and propelling me forward where I can work really, really hard by myself to try to figure that out. But if I'm um, on the back of somebody else's experience and, and information and knowledge, the faster I walk, the further I go, mm. far faster than if I were able to do it by myself. And so I knew that for me to do really well in this new industry, I was going to need help. And so I dove, I dove right into, I mean, it's funny because um, I, I met with Leon and I probably hadn't been wholesaling for longer than like two months. 
And so I met with Leon and he was like, this is weird. I've never seen anything like this. And so um, because of our business acumen, because of me and Carl, he had us go into Premiere. Super thankful for that. Uh, and then what I had noticed was Premiere is amazing, but I'm sitting in rooms where they're like, here's how you shelter $5 million in taxes. And here's how you do this. And I'm like, bro, we are not the same. And so um, um, I had um, before, so before, and I guess before- Different challenges. Different challenges. Before I was a wedding photographer, I was a college pastor at a church in Charlotte. And then I ended up being a high school baseball and football coach there. And I coached with a guy named Grady Little, who was, took the Red Sox and the Dodgers to the world, almost to the World Series. But then he retired and decided to serve in the church. And when he did, um, Sports Illustrated, so he decided he was like, okay, I'm going to be the high school baseball coach here, just serve my time and my experience. Sports Illustrated comes and they're like, the most overqualified high school baseball coach in America. Mm -hmm. And so I was his assistant coach okay. there, which is kind of wild. But the one thing about Grady is Grady signed David Ortiz, Clayton Kershaw, the best people like in baseball history. He signed and managed them, but he had no idea how to train a ninth rising ninth grader on how to field a ground ball. And so that's how I felt in Premier. You've got a bunch of people like Grady Little who are kind of a little bit removed from the fundamentals of wholesaling mm. and had no idea how to help me. And so I was like, Leon, I think I want to go down to select. Yeah. Um, because like I need to learn how to field a ground ball before I can be signed to the majors. Mm -hmm. And so take me back down. And so uh, I ended up going back down because of that, which was super helpful. But yeah. So, but CG, without CG and without mentorship in, in general, this business would not exist right now. The impact that I'm going to have in the world would not be possible. And so I just think without mentorship or education in general, um, I wouldn't be where I am. And so I knew that early on. And so that's why I went into CG. And Long you want some belts along the way. Oh, I did. Uh, it's funny. I got... Third place in premiere, second place in select, and then first place select, first place select. Mm -hmm. And then if we had, if we had, I strongly believe, if we had belts at the time like we do now for the tracks, I would have won a belt for my AI presentation. <laughs> so I think I would have three belts. I saw that AI presentation. Oh. It was pretty good. You liked it? I liked it, I right? Insane. So that's actually the reason why. So we have three cameras in here. For those of you guys, you can't hey. see it, right? We have three different angles. We use Autopod. Hey, Autopod right? is- Because I'm staring, I was like, okay, this guy's really into AI. And uh, these are some great recommendations. Like, all right, let's go back and use Autopod. So now we don't have a switcher. Let's go. Right? And the command, command center anymore. Taking away a job. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just joking. Well, they could, we could reallocate those resources that's exactly and efforts right, elsewhere. Because that, that's, that's also, I, I think that it's not AI that's going to take away jobs. Mm -hmm. It's the people not using AI that's going to take away right. jobs. And that's, what, that's how you open that presentation. It's like, yeah. AI is not here to take your job. Yeah. It has to help you be more effective at your job. That's exactly right. If you choose to opt out of it, that's fine. You should choose to opt out of having a job. That's exactly right. So uh, <laughs> I'm glad that you are reallocating those efforts. I'll, Absolutely. I'll we're, always, we're always reallocating. So uh, so let's talk about AI real quick then. Let's go. All right. So talk to me. Like, what, what, what is this passion about artificial intelligence? Oh, um, I, all my life, um, hmm. Ooh, this could get like psychologically something something different. But I, I think like for me, I've always in the I'm always in the camp of progress, like innovation. It's one of our core values is innovation, is moving and progressing. It's disrupting wherever we go into, which is why I love the name of this podcast, disruptors. It's disrupting whatever industry. You were gonna say something? No. Okay. Disrupting the industry, disrupting wherever I can by utilizing the best technology that's available for us. I just think 
if somebody's created it, I think that God has given somebody the ability to create something that has not been done before or is going to revolutionize the world, then I think there's no there's no reason not to be an early adapter to it. I'm just an early adopter onto things. Mm. And so I just dove in and was like, yo, this is so fascinating because you can scale. Uh, so for me, I also own a virtual assistant staffing company. And for me to be able to optimize the efforts of my virtual assistants with AI allows you literally to scale what they can do. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, why make it harder on myself when I can make it significantly more efficient because of AI to not have to switch cameras mm -hmm. or to not have to create content and chop it up and put the words in there or to not have to create. So I use AI for my SOPs. I use AI for a ton of things. And so right. it's like, why would I do that myself when literally I could pay $20 a month for something else to do it? And that scales my time significantly. So yeah. I just, I just don't see any reason not to do it. And people are going to be, Oh, Steve, Steve. The thing that gets me is when people are like, don't let your kids use AI because, because it's going to make them dumb. Like, you know, because then they're going to have a crutch and they're going to do all this. And I'm going to go, and I'm thinking, well, what happens when everybody in the world is using AI and they have no idea how to use it? Like, how do we use AI to help their educational advancement? Because I think there's so many things, instead of having to hire a tutor, they've created tutors for kids that are artificial intelligence that are actually way better at, um, at seeing tendencies that are way better at teaching to the style that these kids learn at. And so I'm just like, why not introduce your kid to the future of what they're going to be in? Because in the next 10 years, their life will be AI. Mm -hmm. In some way, shape, or form, they're going to wake up in the morning and it's AI that monitors the sleep that they got that tells them what they should eat for breakfast or tells them whatever to be able to bring them back up to the energy level they need. Like, that's going to be what the future is. Gary Vee kind of talks about this. Like, you know, we're all trying to take away the devices from our kids, which I am still in that mm -hmm. camp. Um, but we're taking devices away from our kids because, like, we want them to interact, go outside, yep. this and that. It's like, and there's nothing wrong with that belief, right? But he's like, what this is he going to be way, interacting with? <laughs> this is the way it is right now. And guess what? Like, yeah, you're fighting the good fight today. No one else is. And so when your kid gets to graduate college or whatever, when they go to college, like, Huge disadvantage. This is the way the society is. So you are stopping them mm -hmm. from being a part of that society. So it's it's interesting. It is really interesting. I don't, I don't think he's wrong. I don't think he's necessarily right, but mm -hmm. I don't think he's necessarily wrong either. Yeah. And I do think there's a ton of value in like our kids. We try to monitor tablet time and do all those things. But there's also times where we have set aside time where I'm like, guys, let's use mid-journey and use our imagination on what we can create. Mm -hmm. Like, let's create a children's book together. Like my kids, we, we use AI as our like creative, how can we utilize this to improve our life? You know, yeah. like it's really cool because I'm like, hey guys, name three things you want tonight's story to be about. So Ashton and Amaya are my kids. I'm like, where do you want to be? Like, what land do you want to live in? And like, what Pokemon do you want to be? And then like AI creates the bed bedtime story for us based off of what they want. We do it like every night and they love it. And so like, there's just so many unique things that you could do That's pretty cool. to like use your kids' imaginations to be able to help them to like start to integrate into the world that they're going to live in mm -hmm. for the rest of their life. So it's really interesting. Yeah. So we're going to get to the installment method. Before we do that, maybe <laughs> we're going to get to that. But before we do that, you're talking about raising capital and you have this, this BHAG. Yeah, that's right. What's the BHAG? So our BHAG, and it's rooted on, um, I grew up in the hood. I grew up in LA. My mom worked so hard because um, I didn't just grow up in the hood. I grew up in nice parts of California because my mom worked her butt off to make sure that I was raised in a nice area. So it was just me and her all my life. She worked two jobs 
and um, and she worked really hard to put us in good areas. And so uh, for me, I think we have we are positioned and postured in a way to be able to make a huge impact in the lives of um, this growing this growing middle class that is going to turn quickly into a lower class because of the gap that's growing between the upper and the middle um, and the lower class. And so because of that, our BHAG is to, to transform the lives of 10,000 families in America by building or owning 1,000 units of affordable housing in 10 different cities around the United States. And so for us, that means we can be able to provide single mothers with three kids. I say, you know, two jobs, three kids. That's it's a triple double, um, like these triple double mothers, like these these mothers that have that work so hard to put their kids in safe places um, to be able to have a good area for them to do that in. But then it also does another thing where like my wife and I foster children and we see the direct the direct impact of poverty, of drugs, of um, honestly a completely broken and messed up system. And how can we be, how can we directly impact the, the world and these mothers and these families and these kids that did nothing to deserve the, 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 the life that they have, um, as far as the kids are concerned, nothing to deserve that. How can we impact that? And for us, we feel like that's the foster care system and that's going to be the affordable housing world. And I think you have to have enough of it or be big enough in it to actually affect it. Because like, I can mail my senator and call him all I want. That's not going to make change, right? Like no. I've got I've got to have enough I've got to have enough pull or enough something to to be able to actually make an impact. And for us, that goal is 10,000 by 2049 and I'll be I don't know 50 something by that time. That still leaves me a ton of time to continue to make a large impact in this world. And so what's cool about that BHAG is when I got into CG, it was like I'd meet somebody and they're like, oh, I own 20 units. And I'm like, dang, 20 units? That's crazy. Mm -hmm. And then like I get around another person and they're like, I own 150. And I'm like, 150? When like I came in and I'm like, I'd like to own two houses in my life, right? And then you get around people that are like, I own 2,000. And you're like, what? And then I got into like this mastermind called Raise Masters. The lowest people have is like 6,500 in there. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting next to somebody and he's like, I own 10,000 units. So then what happens in that moment is like, I say this, the dreams to what I believe is possible, like the ceiling to what I can, I dream to be possible is raised, but also the floor of my limiting beliefs are raised. Mm. And so like when I went in and I thought I can have two houses in my life, then I was like, that two houses, that two houses is good. But now that I'm like 10,000 is the number, I'm upset if I have 5,000, you mm. know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So the, because I know it's possible. I've seen plenty of people do it. And so the floor of my limiting beliefs continue to be raised. And so- that happens because I'm surrounded by people in CG and in Raise Masters and things like that. And that affects my BHAG and then the impact that I believe is possible in this world. And so that's where um, it comes from. So you were, you were saying uh, a lot of this is driven by your upbringing. Yeah. So you said a single mother. Mm -hmm. You have three kids? Or no, is three, no. like so two siblings? I, had, I, had a, I have one sister. I uh, have one sister, but she actually lived in Florida. Um, but what happens, especially in LA and these inner cities, is when there's not a father figure, then um, then that's where like gangs come in. So my cousin was a blood, he was a gang, um, gang member. So I spent a lot of time around gangs when I lived in uh, LA. I actually, man, we're getting deep into my life here. I actually, so two of my best friends at the time when I lived in LA, one is life in prison for murder. The other one's in and out of jail and out of rehab. 
And that was my reality. And so uh, in order to avoid child support, I would spend the summers with my dad and he lived kind of all over the country because his job took him to different places. And so there was one summer where I was with him and we were living in Raleigh um, for that summer. And they were just like, hey, Devin, you're not going back home. And I was like, well, what do you mean I'm not going back home? And they were like, you're not coming back home. And so like, I literally still to this day have not seen the stuff that was in my room when I left. I left with a suitcase and that's all I had. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I never went back home. My mom moved out to North Carolina. I moved out with her. And then um, I moved in with her. And then four years later, found out that guy's not actually my dad. But anyways, I digress. <clears throat> so, yeah. but yeah, man, my mom worked really hard to raise me in good areas. Um, but nevertheless, like if you're in certain areas, you're still going to run in around the wrong crowds. Mm -hmm. And so I think because of that upbringing, how hard my mom worked, the life that I lived, and like if I did not leave that summer, my life would be changed forever. I wouldn't, pro I wouldn't be who I am today. And so- um, How old were you? 15. 15. So I want, I want to be able to have that impact for other kids. How does your BHAG help you accomplish, accomplish great, that? Great. So good question. So if we are able, because with affordable housing, you have the ability to be able to vet a lot of the, um, the tenants that go into it. So if you're able to vet those tenants, then we're able to go, okay, these are people that actually need this good housing. And one of my big goals is to be able to um, have these, uh, like have these, these houses in good areas, which is tough because these good areas don't always want affordable housing. So we actually are partnering with the town of Davidson near Charlotte, North Carolina. And if you know anything about the town of Davidson, the average house is like $600,000. Like it is, Davidson is where Steph Curry went, one of the most, like the nicest private schools you could go to in the South. Uh, and so they call Davidson the Harvard of the South or something like that. And so that's that in that area. So we're actually working with the town of Davidson to build affordable housing there. And so I want to be able to bring affordable housing to areas that like, wouldn't normally have affordable housing. And so for these parents to raise their kids, go to a good school district. Cause like Steve, I've, I've been shot at, I've almost been kidnapped twice. Like I've been in really bad areas in LA, but my mom worked really hard for me to not have to be. And so for us to be able to help those mothers that want to build and put their kids in great areas, it like that directly impact our BHAG directly impacts that. Gotcha. So that's powerful. Um, Thanks, I'm thankful. So we're talking about 2024. Mm -hmm. Things, things are gonna be different. Yeah. So how are things gonna be? <clears throat> so man, what we're seeing in the South, like what we're seeing in North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, Tennessee, what we're seeing in that area is, and I, and I, and I, granted, I've been in this for three years, so I haven't seen the talk of like all this stuff that's going on. But what I'm seeing now, visibly with my own eyes, and as I'm trying to like move around the the regulations that I hear and and see, is like wholesaling is becoming one of one of those things where they don't the the realtors the the board is talking about not recognizing it as equitable interest and so then you hear people that are like oh it's illegal it's this or that and so for me as an early adopter I'm like how do I get around this so that my business doesn't crash and burn because all of a sudden some regulation comes up like here it is boom now like I have to on the fly adopt um, a whole new method or a whole new process to try to make money in real estate. And so, uh, and what was really helpful was in South Carolina, I, uh, in South Carolina, we were trying to do some deals in South Carolina and I came across these guys who are NCG. We we're sitting together at a dinner and they were like, 
yeah, they're sending cease and desist letters to wholesalers that are trying to anybody that puts essentially anything on the market or like not on the market, but puts anything on like investor lift or anything, all of the trying to wholesale a property, they'll send them a cease and desist at like 20,000 an assignment. And I was like, sheesh, that's crazy for them to do that. And so I saw two things. I saw opportunity, mm. but I saw like writing on the wall, right? If they're doing this so strongly in South Carolina, then it's only a matter of time before other states start to adopt it at a higher level or other states start to get stricter on their policies. Because I knew in like Oklahoma, you can't like really, you can't put a house on the market with equitable interest or wholesale there. You have to go through a realtor. And so like I knew in these states this was happening, but not as strong as South Carolina. South Carolina was like, bam, like it's done. Mm -hmm. And so I connected with these guys at CG and they were working with this, this guy named Gary Pickering, who is a South Carolina real estate commissioner mm -hmm. and a broker and owns one of the largest title companies in South Carolina. They got like 50 attorneys doing closings. And so we closed with them and they're telling me about this, this installment method and what it was and how it can alleviate uh, the issue of wholesaling in South Carolina. And then I saw the opportunity. So I saw the writing on the wall, but then I saw the opportunity because I was like, if other people can't wholesale in South Carolina, but this allows you to, mm -hmm. then like I need to be doing this thing. Yeah. Well, I think there's a couple of different things, right? If you look at um, the, when I started, because I started wholesaling back in, I got familiar with wholesaling in 07, right? Ooh, 07. And I was like, this is a fad. Like, this is a fad. Like, forget this thing. This is, <laughs> once the market turns around, like this thing's going to be over, right? Completely wrong. Could not be more wrong. Um, but- when uh, we started Real Estate Disruptors, this was 2018. And wholesaling was known, but it wasn't well-known, mm. right? And so I became this person who was a successful realtor in the Phoenix market to a person that kind of became like, went to the dark side, right? Because hey. I wholesale, right? Yeah. Like, this realtor thing's for the birds. I'm going to wholesale, right? And as I was doing this, and I was showing more and more people like by wholesaling, realtors like, what is this? Mm -hmm. What is this wholesaling thing, Right? Now, today, I don't know a lot of realtors that don't know what wholesaling is. Yeah. Right? And the ones that do know wholesaling don't have a positive do like perspective no. <laughs> on wholesaling. No. But here's what's crazy. We have homeowners we talk to now. It's like, are you going to wholesale my house? Dang, here. Here. Dang. I mean, Phoenix, like this is a guru I've capital. Never had that. That's right? crazy. So we have homeowners like, are you going to wholesale my house? So look, the reality is we're at a time now, and I've made this joke many times before. Brent's heard me say this. I believe there are more homeowners out there that know the TTP script. And there are wholesalers <laughs> that know the TTP funny. script, right? That sounds right. Right? Because if you talk to them, it's like, that's hey, right. you know, I know it's called out of blue. Are you looking for a cash? Like, they know this script. They do. Right? They actually, yeah, that's true. So if this is the reality mm -hmm. and realtors don't care for wholesalers, and realtors are pretty pissed off right now because yeah. there was a whole deal a couple months, a month or two back about the whole commission thing. They met, I guess they all of them met in, in Canada or something and talked about out like not well, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the, oh. the whole deal with the, the lawsuit. Oh, in Tennessee. Uh, no, I'm saying the lawsuit as far as uh, you're not paying oh, buyer brokers anymore, yeah, right? Yeah, that's right. The NARS. So, so realtors are pretty pissed right now. Yep. I think there's going to be even more focus now, hmm. more light on the wholesaling side. So to me, it doesn't really matter what I believe is right, hmm. right? Because I strongly believe yeah. you should be able to wholesale. I should be able to wholesale you this. Monster, you used, used monster mm -hmm. drink. I should be able to yeah, wholesale this. Yeah, I heard Manny wants it. I'll give it to him for 20 bucks. Right? I yeah. should be able to wholesale this, yeah. right? Like, so how can they regulate this? But regardless of what I believe, if the departments of real estate come along, come together and say, yeah. we don't like this, 
it doesn't matter what we believe if yeah. this is the direction that we're going. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly right. And and that's the writing on the wall that we see. Mm-hmm. So like Gary being who he is, a real estate commissioner, uh, he talks a lot about that side of it. He talks a lot about the regulation that's coming because like, <laughs> it's very ironic. He literally is the one regulating these wholesalers in South Carolina. Mm-hmm. And so for him to do that, to see that writing on the wall makes me go, oh, dang, this is legit. Like, this mm-hmm. is not just like a thing. This is pretty legit. And so for for us, I was like, okay, how do we alleviate or get around that or continue to be, be, be honest? Because I think wholesaling is also a service to sellers. How do we continue to be a service for these sellers that have motivation, that need help, don't have time to put it on the market with a realtor or do whatever, doesn't have access to the cash buyers, how do we still be a service to them? And so that's when, and that's, that kind of led me to look at 2024, how are things going to change, mm-hmm. and then what the solution for that is. And that brought about the inta- installment method. So I, I hope that answered your question on like, how is wholesaling changing in 2024? Mm-hmm. In a couple of ways, I think it's just regulatory, it's going to change. Um, but then also, like, as you're saying, sellers are they know the TTP script better than we do. Right. And so then like if everybody's offering the same solution, then then what's actually going to help them? And and like what's going to differentiate me or you from every other person that's using the TTP script or or any of that stuff. And so for for us it was I saw this whole the installment method and was like this is it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's funny because I, I got together with those guys and then quickly started doing a lot of them. Mm-hmm. So I've done a ton of installment methods and and it's provided us the ability to, like I said, give a solution to a seller by being able to, and I don't know how much we, you want to dive into the structure of it, give the seller money now to be able to help them. And then even like along the way, if they need cash to pay for their car or whatever, then like we can give them that. And that comes out of the proceeds that they were going to give. But because we're protected, because um, that's what it does. It gives solutions, but it also protects us as the mm-hmm. as the investor uh, in, in, in not having to worry about a wholesaler coming and snake our deal, not having to worry about a seller backing out because I've literally had sellers back out. I wired money into the title company to close and the seller signed with another wholesaler. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, like what? And so like it protects us from that, but then it also gives us a ton of exit strategies, whether I want to build my portfolio or I want to maximize our profits while still helping them. It does all of that. So now I kind of assume we're going to Talk about the structure of it. Yeah. So, I mean, what is exactly the installment method? Um, okay. So, the installment method, one, I think it's another tool belt, tool in your tool belt. So, you've got like wholesaling, you got novations, you got wholetelling, you got burr, you got all these things. And so, this is another tool in the tool belt that I actually think is a good combination of those, mm-hmm. uh, but also gives us a ton of opportunity to do other things with it. So, what I do is essentially is Steve. And I love this. I'm talking to the sales trainer about some sales stuff. So I'd go to, I'd go to you, Steve, and we do this with foreclosures. I was talking to my person about this today with a foreclosure. I can go to you and go, hey, Steve, um, I know you want 250 for your house. Your house is worth 350 Or let's say you want 200 for your house. Your house is worth 300 You didn't like my offer of $160,000. Mm-hmm. Uh, I understand. You want 200 I think now... I don't know if I can for sure, but let me go back, talk to my underwriters in the back and, and our team and see if, uh, see if I can help give you that 200,000. And you may, listen, I, you may qualify for this, uh, this program. It's our installment program. And I think I may be able to give you $500 now. Would that be helpful for you? 
And so for us, that's kind of how we push it. We pitch it. We talk to them about that. We're like, hey, we can give you money now. And if they push back and they want more than 500, we literally get to put the terms however we want. I've given somebody 10,000 now because we knew that house was going to be like a banger. Um, or we've structured it to where you can go, uh, well, we haven't had to structure it this way, but you can structure it where I go, how about I give you 500 now and 500 a month until we close? Mm. Would that be helpful for you as well to pay some of the bills, to get you started on the move, get you this on whatever we talked about in the past was their pain point. We get to directly address their pain point in the way that we structure the deal. Whereas a wholesaler wouldn't be able to do that. Right. They would just say, here's my cash offer. I'll pay you in 30 days. Maybe. And so hopefully. And so I'm saying I will come now with cash. You can have it non-refundable. Um, and so what we do then is when we have that closing, so we have two closings, there's an initial closing with the title company. Uh, and then we pay what's called an equitable deposit. So the biggest issue with wholesaling that I believe is that a, in a wholesale contract is not actual equitable interest on a property. Mm. It's not seen as equitable interest. States like Georgia, states like Tennessee, South Carolina for sure, are not acknowledging and recognizing a wholesale contract as actual equitable interest. And so what we're doing is we're actually putting down an equitable deposit, a non-refundable equitable deposit to that, in, to that seller. And then the title company is actually going to record that equitable deposit with the county. And that puts us on the title with the seller. And then people come in and they're like, why would the seller do that? Why would the seller want you to go on title with them? That doesn't make any sense. That seller, why would they do that? And so for us, it, we go, Steve, you're wanting 200,000 for that house. And I think I can get you that. I'm going to talk to them, see if you apply for this program. And if you do, or qualify for this program. And if you do, I think I can get you that. What I then can do is I'm going to go ahead and give you that $500 now. And, and we'll do that at the closing. We'll have a closing in the next, depending on how fast our title company mm -hmm. can clear title. We'll have a, and then for us to do our due diligence, we'll have our closing in the next three to five days. I'll be able to pay that 500 then, and then I'll be able, I'll go on the title with you. What that's going to do is that's going to allow me to be able to go and get the financing that I need, either from our lender or to be able to go and put that on the market to get you access to millions of millions of buyers to be able to get you that number without having to worry about the hassle of filling all that paperwork uh, and, and dealing with a realtor. We take care of that for you. The great thing, Steve, you remain on the title. So you're fully protected in this in this as well. So you don't have to worry about being at any risk for this. And then what we'll do is we'll go ahead and make payments to you for the next two months at $500 or heck, you can pay for their mortgage if you want. Like we'll pay your mortgage for you for the next, until we close on the property. And when we get you that final 200,000, does that sound like, is that like something you'd be interested in? And so then that's how we pitch that to mm. them. And so then it's like, well, of course they want to be like, they have no problem with that because they stay on it with us. They're fully protected. Mm -hmm. And we are fully protected because like, it's better than a memorandum. We don't have to file a memorandum. We don't have to file a notice of interest. It's better than that because we've seen people try to still sell it over a memorandum mm -hmm. and been successful. So like, uh, I mean, we've seen that happen. So it's better than that because they can't take out debt. They can't sell, they can't do anything without us right. signing off on it. And so it's really helpful. Yeah, we had a deal right now close. I think uh, it was the 18th, so the Monday of Thanksgiving, Yeah. right? Uh, we had someone that uh, they recorded over our memorandum. Dang. Right? So, which doesn't happen in Arizona, right? Like, that's part of title in Arizona, at least. And so we're suing them for title insurance uh, yeah. claim here. So, but that's a pain. It is, but, I mean, at this point, like, there's no risk. Like, we, we're going to get the revenue. That's true. And we don't have any uh, risk in it. But 
that happens, right? Mm -hmm. Like we don't control the transactions. Like for me, you know, I, I you guys that are watching, we talk about uncertainty talks. We talk about the whale club. Mm -hmm. We talk about uh, having certainty. For me, the biggest win here is that once we agree on terms with the homeowner, mm -hmm. we control the transaction because we are the owner That's right. of the property, right? So I can sign the listing agreement, mm -hmm. right? Which in most states you still can today with equitable interest, right? Like that, it, that appears to be an unresolved legal discussion, yes. right? Some states say as you can, some states say you can't. That's and not, it's state by state. It's state That's by right. state, right? So like, whatever, right? Mm -hmm. But if I own the property, that issue is resolved. Mm -hmm. So now I can sign the listing agreement. I can sign any purchase contracts that come through. And the biggest thing for me is that when the buyer comes through on the second leg, I don't have to worry about the seller getting involved, right? Nope. I don't have to worry about the seller saying, hey, how come, what's this $40,000 charge? Yeah. Or what is this $115,000 <laughs> difference? That's exactly right. I don't have to worry about any of that stuff. No, you don't even right? have to worry about the, the buyer being like, I don't like that you're making this wholesale fee. Yeah. Because we're selling it to them as an owner of the right. property. It's not we are the owner. owner. We're not a middleman. Right. We are the actual owner. So in many ways, we're flipping, we're, we're operating like a flipper with short-term financing yep. from the seller. So uh, in Arizona, we can close as fast as three days here, right? Like I've actually had title clear in less than 24 hours here. Nice. Right? Like we had a situation with an HOA foreclosure. Like, hey, uh, our foreclosure is tomorrow. Can you close on it? I was like, let me make a call. Yeah. And we got it cleared. Nice. That day. Right. So in Arizona, I could take title, let's just say three days, mm -hmm. three to seven days. Once I take title, I can mark it on MLS. I don't have to worry about any issues with, mm -mm. again, other people poaching our deal, uh, sellers backing out, sellers disappearing, right? We had a seller go to prison, yeah. right? That was really made it really difficult. We did an installment on somebody in prison too. Yeah. And the thing is, is like, then we never had to worry about after that initial one, them yeah. having to come back ever again. It didn't well, matter. It, we've done uh, novations with power of attorneys um, where the power of attorney in this instance was out of state. And so like every time we did it, oh every time we had gosh. a conversation, we had to talk to the, the, the seller and then his daughter. Like every, it was oh. always this double conversation. Like that's a pain. We're getting past all of that. Yeah. Right. So um, like I said, I think this is going to resolve a lot of issues, yep. but not all the issues, mm -hmm. but a lot of the issues. Right. So the reg regulatory component, most. The uh, the control mm -hmm. situation. So why should someone not then do something like this? Okay, so it, it depends, right? So it does require the capital to be able to give that initial installment and you have an initial and closing. So I would say the biggest difference is on why you shouldn't do an installment because there's still some that we're like, nope, this probably isn't an installment for is because like if I'm going to put myself on that title, there's risk, right? There's risk on being like this has to sell. So for us, we know that unless it's going to make us $30,000 on this deal, we're not going to do an installment on it mm. because we have to come out of pocket for the initial closing. We're paying them monthly out of pocket now, but then it's credited back to us at the closing. So not out of pocket ultimately, but there's still capital that has to take mm. place there. And so we know that it has to be a minimum 30000 for us. So that's one of them. But also too, it depends on what the purpose of this is. We deal with foreclosures and we are doing... In foreclosures, we have 30 days less. Sometimes like sometimes, it just fluctuates. And we know that if that's our time frame and we want to put it on the MLS, we know that an FHA buyer is going to need a 90-day seasoning period. So then I'm like, okay, well, then maybe it would be better to do a novation in this situation. But still, again, like power of attorney gets, eh, you don't really have, you're not protected on the title. 
So then you either just have to say, I don't really want to do it with a um, with an FHA buyer, or you kind of switch the the way that you do it. So mm -hmm. that that's probably the only reason I would see not to do it, unless you see something different. Because like we've transitioned to doing it for like all of our deals. Yeah. Because it just makes sense. Well, I mean, I foresee us using it uh, for for a majority of our deals. Um, and I think the biggest reason why, again, is we talk about certainty, right? With that's the right. Club, it's that. It's crazy to me. I would sit down with my account, my accountant. And we, we do 30-day projections, right? So mm -hmm. we've done the P&L, right? P&L is a 30-day look back. Yep. We're doing 30-day projections, right? So we want to know, based off our history and based off what we have on the board, mm -hmm. what's our cash position going to be in 30 days? Smart. In doing a cash projection in 30 days, we always knock off 20%. Yep, because deals fall through. Deals, deals fall through. Either the buyer doesn't perform, mm -hmm. right? The uh, hard money doesn't happen, or they try to wholesale it to someone else without telling you, even mm -hmm. though it's in a contract that they can't. Mm -hmm. They try to wholesale it to somebody else, and now that they've done it, the the 14 days to clear solar has to get reset. That's right. So like, there's all these things that happen, right? Uh, so we can't, we cannot rely on 100% of the revenue that's on the board. That's right. On closing, having this process in place. We can say with a lot greater certainty. There's no doubt. We own the property now. These are all going to close. We don't have to worry about, oh, the other thing I didn't say, like sellers backing out, right? Mm -hmm. So like we don't have to worry about their daughter coming in. Uh, we have more than once adult protective services called on us. Dang. Right? And having adult protective services called on us, now we got to deal with this. Like, okay, do we want to fight this mm -hmm. or not? Right? Like, hey, and the first thing, did we record this call? <laughs> Right? I was like, why the hell did you not record this call? Because yeah. that's the first question I had uh, when we have uh, adult protective services uh, called in. So do we want to fight this? Mm. Right? With all this goes away, we're the owner. If it's not 100%, I don't, the only instances where it wouldn't close is if the buyer can't get their loan done in time or the buyer gets their loan yep. done. That's it, that's right? Because right. we're talking about yep. marketing MLS. Yep. Uh, one of the things we see a lot in collective So, genius, But really quickly too, though, if that happens, then like with this installment installment method, I can then go to the seller and go, hey, look, listen, this was the situation. <clears throat> We'd love to extend it another 30 days. I'll pay you $2,000 if you're willing to extend it another 30 days. Yeah. There you go. Like, yeah. they're like, fantastic, All awesome. Right. But if you're wholesaling, you're just like, hey, it didn't close in 30 days. I'm sorry, I got to terminate. Mm -hmm. You know, but now we have that opportunity to pay them more money. But then it's credited back to us at closing. So it's like, we're not even paying them. Like, right. We're just coming out of the profits that they're going to make. They're just essentially getting like an advance on it. And But like, we are able to pay them that money now to compensate for like our buyer falling through and us mm -hmm. needing to extend it longer. You have that option. Right. And again, like we can pay more. Mm -hmm. So I look at this, a lot of the ways that we were doing innovations, Yep. we can put this in the same place that's, where we can pay more. That's exactly right. Right. And so if you're wholesaling, this could be a challenge if you're going against us because we can actually pay more. We could pay more every 100% of the time. Yeah. There's no doubt. I literally was talking to our um, our acquisition person this morning, and she's like, yo, I got this banger in Raleigh. It's worth 650 The lady owes 350 on it. And I was like, let's lock it in on an installment because like, she wants to stay in the house for a little bit longer. She's in a foreclosure situation. And we're like, okay, let's get it under contract. So then once we're in an installment and we're on the, the, the deed with her, then like I can go to the foreclosure attorney and show them a, uh, I can, or I can go to the lender and show them, hey, we have a purchase contract with them. We want to try to, we want to try to, um, to extend this, you know, auction another three months, which gives us plenty of time to do whatever we need for it. But then if they say no, 
I also can pay off those arrears and not have to worry about paying off the arrears and then they leave us and never talk to us again because I'm on the deed. Mm. And so this just opens up so much opportunity for those big deals so that if we want to, because this is a huge house worth 650, we're getting it um, pretty dang low. We have another one in Charlotte. It's worth like 950 and we're getting it at like 416 and they're making a couple hundred K off of it still, but we're locking it in because like, I don't want them to go and sell that to somebody else. Yeah. We still want to be like- We're locking some, the gains. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's huge for that. Uh, there is, a, I'm trying to think of some other instances. Like we used to do uh, partnerships. Or yeah. not used to. We've considered doing partnerships. We don't want ever. And the biggest reason why I didn't want to do it is because, all right, Devin, I'm going to come in. I'm going to come in. I'm going to fix your house. I'm going to split the profits. I'm doing that currently. Right. right. Got one. <laughs> But there's always the risk of Devin's like, hey, I really like this house now that we've remodeled it. Appreciate yeah, thank you. you. <laughs> right? I, I don't want to sell it anymore. And you're like, I just spent dollars <laughs> right. $50,000 mm -hmm. in your house. And the only way I could protect myself in that instance prior was a lien. Mm -hmm. Like, hey, I need you to agree to this lien before mm -hmm. I put money into it, which protects me, mm -hmm. but I'm still out that money. Yeah, and it protects you the amount of the lien, like yeah. the amount that you put into the house. That's it. Yeah. That's the amount of protection. Yeah. But here now, it's like, no, I'm the owner. I can put money into this. Yep. And you can live in the house, right? Mm -hmm. I wouldn't generally do this, but I know you've done it. I have. Right? Where you remodel the house while they live in it. Mm-hmm. And then we sold it. And then like we split profits 70-30, $700,000 mm -hmm. house. Their mortgage was 200000 um, they owed a hundred thousand in judgments, like 140,000 in judgments. And so we agreed on a price of, um, I think it was 490. So they're going to come up, they're going to get a lot of money on that. And then I was like, the way that we can get you the most. And I said this, the way that we can get you the most amount for your property is if we sell it on the MLS, but your house is in fantastic condition, but it's a little bit dated. So what if we were to, over the next couple of months, they want to stay in, spend time with their family. What if we were to go ahead and renovate the kitchen for you and then renovate the bathrooms? You'd be okay with that? And they're like, yeah. And I was like, fantastic. Mm -hmm. And so um, we split the profits 70-30. We made 200. They made, yeah, they made like 180 or something. Like, mm -hmm. that's awesome. Right. And so, um, and they made 180 because of their um, their difference. So we, are, we were at like 500 was the amount that they wanted. And then we split the the two. No, we didn't even split the 250. Anyways, so we agreed on the 70 to 30 mm -hmm. and then we, um, and then we got, because we said 70 because we were helping them to take care of the foreclosure, taking care of the, the not having to worry about all of that stuff while they, while we renovated it, we renovated it and then we took care of the realtor and all that. So mm -hmm. kind of wild. Yeah. So one of the questions that we've heard in the recent past is like, why would a seller agree to this? Yeah. Well, really when it comes to this, we're offering them the service of so I deal with foreclosures and a lot of people in foreclosure, they have very pressing money issues. And so for me to be able to come in and give them money now is a huge plus to them. And for me to go, you wanted, I could offer you cash 160, but you wanted 200 for me to give you. That is a huge service. We had a, a house in South Carolina and the lady's like, Hey, we're really struggling right now. Can you help us? So I Venmoed her like $1,500, mm -hmm. you know, like, because I knew that that was going to, like, I could do that. I own the house. She's not going to run with that. And then I just sent, I just sent a copy of the receipt to my title company. And then they took that out at closing. So like for us, 
it's an, it's the ability to be able to help people. Cause like, what if their car breaks down and they need money for their car? We're in a position to be able to help them for that. Can you imagine the review you would get if it wasn't just us taking care of the situation with their house, getting them more than anybody else offered them, but also taking care of their car on the way, like along the way. And so for us to be able to serve them in the time of need that they're at, because like, let's face it, people aren't really coming to us unless they have motivation. Mm -hmm. And for us to meet them where they are in their pain points, in their motivation, typically it's financially, but it also is through services that you can offer them because you're on the title or you're on the deed with them. And because ultimately you'll be credited back that money at closing, right. it allows you to do a lot more for them. You can release a lot more funds to yeah. them. You, you can advance the funds yep. and still be fully protected. Which no wholesaler can do. Yeah. A wholesaler would be kind of dumb to be like, here's five thousand, here's a couple thousand dollars non-refundable. Yeah. Like, have a great day. Can't say that we haven't done. It. I don't think we have done it, but I can't say we haven't done it. Right? But I'm sure you did because you wanted well, to actually, help. Actually, I take that back. So we had a situation where, you know, unfortunately we had to sue this guy for a specific performance. Dang. Right? I didn't want to, but like we literally bought him a mobile home. Shoot. Right? He's what like, hey, that? like I I need this. Like, okay, we bought the mobile home for him. And like dummies, right? This is a wholesale deal. So we completely shot ourselves in the foot here. But we own it. You and then again, like for everyone that's watching, like that was stupid. That, that, that was just stupid. stupid hey right? man, I'm really down on my luck. The car broke down on the way here, Steve. I really need some help. Yeah. Um, but now, <laughs> right, if I'm the owner, I'm protected. That's I don't right. have to worry mm -hmm. about this, right? So I can help them find uh, their other property, their next exactly. property. You can help them. So we've done that. We pay security deposits because they need the money now to do the security deposit. But typically, they're not going to get that money until it closes. Mm -hmm. And so- I can pay their security deposit and their first month of rent for them. And it's essentially just an advance on that for them. Right. And so we have so much opportunity because if we want to get them out the house, then you're like, get out the house, mm. go figure it out. Like mm. go out there and be somebody, you know? <laughs> and so like now we're in a position where like, Hey, get out the house, but let's help. We will pay for the security deposit in the first month of rent in your new apartment that you're leaving to. You right. can do that. That's, that's specifically catered to the seller. Like that is directly helping them. So it's really cool. Yeah. So looking at, at your business today, right? Mm -hmm. You went through this skyrocket mm -hmm. launch into Phew. real estate. Phew. And because it was a really big rise, the crash was a little bit more spectacular. I mean, crashed and burned, bro. Like yeah. I would, I remember sitting into my office by myself, nobody in there and just being like, oh my gosh. So yes, very spectacular. All right. So a spectacular crash. And now you've turned it back around. So what does your business look like now versus when you started? Fantastic. So we use the installment method a ton. Now I own a real estate fund now. So one of the things with foreclosures is they require capital. And so I got to the point where I was working with a lot of private lenders, but golly, private lenders, it's just, oh, it's so inconvenient. And then you got to deal with them and you're like, hey, wire it in. I need you to wire it in today. It's got to wire in today. And they're like, oh, it hasn't hit my account yet. And I'm like, well, get, come on. And then you got to send them promissory notes and then they send payoffs. Like they have to put together a payoff and send a payoff in. Then you got to wire it back. And then I'm telling them I'll give them 12% a year when really I'm only giving them not that much because it's like, hey, I got a deal for you once every three months, you know? And so for me, I started, uh, we started a fund and so now it's really cool. My um, wholesaling company wholesales <laughs> to my um, wholesales every deal to my fund. Mm -hmm. So now I make money on the wholesale mm -hmm. from my from my company through the installment method. So I have a company called Pure Flare Homes. They hold they do all of the. 
Pure Homes does all of the installment contracts and they're on all the installment contracts and they also will wholesale it to us. Actually, yes, they'll wholesale it to us and then we do the closing. At the at that closing, we'll pay Pure Flare Homes the assignment fee at the initial closing. Mm-hmm. So my fund buys all the houses. And so I, we've got, we've transitioned because of the fund into flipping a lot. Mm-hmm. So we do flips with the installment method. That's pretty awesome because then we don't have to take out a huge loan to buy the house. We literally... We'll flip up. So we'll go on, we'll do our closing and then we'll just jump in and start flipping the house because mm-hmm. it's vacant. And so we didn't have, actually even have to buy the house before we started flipping. Now, you have to have either a private lender to be able to help you get that money. We've got our fund. So we do that. Um, we do that with that. So then we flip the house and then we put it on the MLS. But then also, this is really cool because we haven't even talked about the exit strategies. We also refinance a lot out of this. Mm-hmm. So with the installment method, you can actually, and I'll do this, I will uh, wholesale a house to my fund and my fund will refinance it. So, or not my fund will refinance it. My fund will have a lender refinance it for us. So for instance, um, if you want to look it up, 481, 4817, I'm something, um, 4812, 4817 Wood, Woodstone Drive in Charlotte, North Carolina. The house appraised at $230,000. Pure Flare Homes got it under contract at $136,000. And then um, PF Capital got uh, started working on our rate and term refinance. So this is not a cash out. You typically have to wait like 90 days for a cash out refinance. This is a rate and term refinance off of the purchase price. The purchase price we have is 155000 So your Flint Homes got it at 136 assigned it to PF Capital. At 155 PF Capital got a rate and term refinance based off of a $230,000 appraisal at 155,000. Mm-hmm. So without coming out of pocket to buy this house, all I did was pay for pay for an assignment fee, but out of the <laughs> rate and term refi, but I um paid for a closing off of the initial closing cuz once you're on the title for 24 hours, you can rate and term refinance. Paid for initial closing, paid for the new loan, and now I own a house because I just refinanced it. Mm. Didn't have to buy it, didn't have to do the bridge loan, didn't have to do any of that stuff. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, so you're not only not out of pocket, you're also paying, paying yourself myself. a fee. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, with a refinance. Right. Didn't have to come out of pocket at all. Yeah. Like, or the rate and term, you didn't have to put money down. Right. It's crazy. Yeah, so you're getting paid to build a portfolio. That's exactly right. Yeah. It's wild. That's pretty awesome. It's cool. So we do that. We do like, we do at least one of those a month. And then we do, uh, we do a lot of the flips out of the installment um, or we'll just purchase from ourselves. So we have about 20 projects right now, all within the last couple of, like the last three months. So that's where we are. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't had a chance to talk about kind of like, so I did this, right? Uh, we bought a property yeah. this way. And it was a situation where I talked to the owner, figured out what they needed now and what they needed later. Right, because like, hey, what do you need? Like, I'm not a cash buyer. Right? Yeah. Like, what, what do you need today? What do you need later? Mm. And we agreed, right? It was 10000 right now, right? And then the rest in six months. Mm-hmm. And he carried the note and so on. And I did this. I was like, man, that's pretty cool. And that's the stuff I learned from Eddie Speed, right? Like, you know, uh, the, the pitch, right? Uh, you know, Ashley Furniture pitch. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, what do you need now? Like, what are your immediate cash needs? And then uh, everything else is like, okay, but I need to get paid later. I said, okay, that's no problem. Right? Mm-hmm. I want you to carry forever, but you don't want to carry forever. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But we can have a balloon payment in six months. I was like, man, that's pretty cool that we were able to do this. Right, like, I gotta tell everybody. Like, Wait a minute, 
I saw if I were to make this something, it'd be like an installment set. <laughs> Devin Robinson just posted something on Facebook about this. I did. So, and then I, you called me and I was like, Steve Trang. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, Devin, just, so it's a, it's a long drive, right? Cause this is out in Avondale. So it's a long drive back. So I was like, let me watch this Facebook live that Devin recorded a couple weeks back. And I watched it's like, okay, that's the same thing. Let me call Devin. Nice. I talked to you and you, you walked me through the whole thing. I was like, okay. I mean, that's what I just did. Nice. So this installment method thing, like, what's it about? Like, oh, I'll talk to Gary. Mm-hmm. Like Gary. Like, yeah. Gary Pickering. He's a commissioner. I was like, oh. Like why? Like you know, like why are you saying? Oh, it's like well, he messaged me <laughs> yeah, I remember. on Instagram, and uh, I completely ignored him <laughs> because he says that I am a commissioner <laughs> in South Carolina, real estate commissioner in South Carolina, and I want to talk to you. It's like no thanks, no, I'm not the one out of self preservation. <laughs> if you're part of like the regulatory side, I want nothing to do with this, right? And uh, but you said yeah, Gary's the one that came with. It's like oh, well, let me talk to Gary. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, it just makes. So much sense because we can help the homeowner mm-hmm. and we can still do well as real estate investors. We're truly like everyone wins along the way. That's right. Yeah. Um, and that's, and that's the biggest part, man. And so it was so cool um, just to be able to, to see you do it, which was awesome. But then also now to be able to have like the backing and the help and the streamlined process to be able to do it at scale. Mm-hmm. has just been really cool too. Well, and you know, it was huge having Gary, uh, in, involved in this, not involved, leading this effort, mm-hmm. is that um, whatever happens in the next 20, 12, 24 months, right, this installment method will work because he is involved <laughs> he knows. in he, talking to all the other real estate he literally He'll literally know before it happens. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So... Being part of this, you can kind of see this evolution uh, in 2024, 2025, wherever, whichever direction this goes, we've got the inside yeah. track. Yeah, well, and what's, what's cool too is like, we were talking, I mean, talking, I was talking to him earlier today and he literally was like, I was talking to a commissioner in some state and they were talking about how they want to completely ban a, a popular version of real estate investing. And it was just like, like, dang, like he knows that ahead of time he's able to get in front of it. And mm-hmm. he's also help, able to help us to understand like, how do we get around that? Well, he's helping us navigate it. Yep. Right. So absolutely. So I think that's, that's, that's awesome. Cool. Uh, if someone wanted to find out about installment method, like what, what is the best way for them to do that? Yeah. So uh, one, they could reach out. Um, I am so happy to explain this to anybody and everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also do like uh, a, a lot of times we'll do trainings on these. Uh, so I think the, wholesale2024.com. You can register for those trainings, but then also installmentmethod.com, I believe is the Mm -hmm. website uh, for us to be able to actually have like what it is and some more information on it there. Yeah. So if you guys want to check out the next call, uh, wholesale2024.com, or you can find out more at Mm -hmm. installmentmethod.com. So you had this epiphany Mm -hmm. with your wedding photography business. You realized this is not the life I I, I had designed. Mm -hmm. What does your life look like now? Um, great question. Ian. So I've got the non-negotiables, right? So the non-negotiables time with my family, very important for me, spending time with my kids, picking them up every day, having the weekends off to enjoy my time with them. Um, and they're, they're six, five and two, and we spend a lot of time with their biological family. And so that's been great. So spend a lot of time with our family. My time actually most now is spent because I spent, like I said, six months plus building out SOPs. So I'm thankful that it's been able to, that company is like 
the wholesale side of our company is fairly self-sufficient. doesn't require a whole lot of me. I spend most of my time raising capital because it's freaking awesome. I really do enjoy doing that. Uh, so I raise a lot of capital for our fund and then plan and strategize towards impact and how we can kind of grow the company to create more and more impact. And so that's what I do a lot now. So that's how my life is structured. Mm -hmm. uh, but then also, honestly, I think that this is such a, like this is such a problem solving tool in the tool belt that I think like everybody needs to know about it. Mm -hmm. So I spend a lot of time talking about this either on the trainings or in our Facebook group or things like that. Yeah. yeah. Like I said, I found out about it on your Facebook live. Yeah. yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. So what is your why? <clears throat> um, and I think I've talked about that. The, my why is directly correlated with my BHAG, mm -hmm. right? Is to make a huge impact in affordable housing and in, uh, and in foster care. Now, to dive a little bit deeper, that also goes down to the why has all started with how strong, my mom's my hero. Mom's my hero. Wouldn't be here without her. Gave up a ton of opportunity in her life for me to be able to succeed. My mom's my hero. And for a bunch of kids in general, especially inner city kids, their moms are their heroes. And you hear it all the time with these athletes. Their mom's their hero. They came out of the, they came out of the mud with her. Like that's just kind of how it is. And so my mom, but also with like our family, uh, our family and, and foster care and being able to affect and transform the lives of the, like, Steve, when I tell you I have seen and read and heard and, and like the most horrific things that you can imagine happen to children changes everything for you. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of that is, is my why. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, it's powerful. I mean, you're, yeah. you're crystal clear on it. Yeah. What is your biggest struggle today? Ooh, great question. I am jack of all trades, master of none. But Steve, the rest of that quote that nobody says is, but still always better than a master of one. So um, I am thankful. I think the Lord has gifted me. Um, and I please like trying to say this in like the most humble, like if you know me, I don't brag about myself like this. I think he's gifted me with an, an unusually high capacity um, to do a lot of things at a fairly high level. And I'm really thankful for that. So my biggest issue has been being a mile wide and an inch deep. And so what I would prefer and what I'm actually now aligning myself to is now the vision of what I want my life to be and what puts me in that direction. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I actually, uh, nah, I actually have like recently sold a company to just, I didn't even sell it. I just gave it away to the, 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 the guys that helped me run it. I'm like, you guys can have this. And they're like, why? And I was like, because I have this goal and I have this vision and this just doesn't fit in that. Mm -hmm. And so for me, um, the, the biggest, what was the question? Biggest struggle. Yeah, the biggest struggle in my life has been direction. Keeping direction and staying focused. And I, I could still say that is probably still my biggest struggle in my life. Mm -hmm. um, I'm getting the direction part. And now it's just focused. <laughs> so yeah. that's the biggest struggle. In my it's life. a challenge being good at a lot of things. <laughs> and it sounds ridiculous, it. right? It sounds ridiculous, but it, it is very hard. Yeah. Yeah. My wife hates it. Like she absolutely hates that about me. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I played pickleball the other day for the first time dominated. Mm -hmm. And so like, it's just like, it sucks. It's hard. Like it's hard. Like, cause mm -hmm. then I felt bad. Cause like, I'm like, I played with these guys that weren't very good. Cause I was like, I've never played before dominated. And so like, you're right. My wife and my wife hates that, that I'll just pick something up and. Well, we played basketball yesterday morning. Yeah. Right. That was and you're guarding Xavier. Yeah. I was like, okay, well, 
Good luck. <laughs> yeah. Good luck to that. You held your own. Hey. And I've never played organized basketball in my life. Yeah. I you, played football and I played baseball. Never yeah. basketball. Well, but corner requires a little bit of skill. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Um, so then how do you measure success? Oh, man. Um, great question. So for me, measuring success is not a metric that's gauged by anybody else. Um, I don't let anybody else tell me like what success is and isn't in my life. For me, it's about the value, like the direct value that I bring to the people around me. So what would be success to me is the the direct impact of the people closest to me, the impact on their life and the quality of life that they have. And like, if I can measurably say the impact has been raised, um, or sorry, the quality of life, their life has been raised because of my including in their life, then like that's success to me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then superpower. I mean, you said you have a lot of powers. So what is your mm, superpower? So I thought about this. You're going to hate this answer, man. Um, <clears throat> Good, I'm excited. My journey. Mm -hmm. I think my journey is my superpower, man. Yeah. Um, I have so much trauma, bro. Like trauma out the, the freaking wazoo because of father, because of the hood, because of like just not feeling certain ways about like so much trauma that I think that that has become my superpower. Mm -hmm. um, I also think that I have a short sleep syndrome, which mm -hmm. is a DNA mutation that only happens in like less than 1% of the world. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think it's in like 30% of fortune five CEOs mm -hmm. where you can sleep and operate off of like less than five hours of sleep. Mm -hmm. And I do. Yeah. Not because like, I'm, I'm also a firm believer in eight hours, get your eight hours. I just don't need it. Yeah. So uh, I think that also is probably one of them. You know, that's what Pace said. Really? His superpower. He doesn't need sleep. Awesome. <laughs> right. You can get a lot done. You can. If you don't need sleep. Uh, you thought I was going to hear your journey's answer? No, because it's not like a... My superpower is I'm a, a whiz with Excel. Like, you know, like, yeah. I don't know, early adopting. I don't know. I think it's my journey, man. Like, it's not a, it's not a one specific superpower, but it's made me everything I am. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and yeah. Well, I mean, I, th I think, you know, we had Brad Chandler on here a couple weeks ago. He talks about how he does 253 deals. He did 253 deals last year, working an hour a week. Damn. Right. Respect. And so, but he talks about, like, how important, or not how important, how your upbringing directly mm. impacts everything you do. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, it makes total sense. I agree. This is a really funny story. I worked for a company called Boosterthon, which is an elementary school fundraiser. So I would go into, like right out of college, making 15000 a year out of college. Um, and I would go into the classroom every single day from kindergarten to fifth graders and, and try to get them excited to raise money for their school fundraiser. Mm -hmm. And I, I can tell you, that prepared me for the things that I do today on um, being able to sit in front of people and for like, yo, kindergartners suck, man. They're like, you're an idiot. Like they say the worst things about you. And so I can sit in front of people and not be phased because I had to do this in front of kindergartners every yeah. single day, you know? So it's really interesting, your journey and what it does. What would your wife say is your superpower? Mm. Okay. <laughs> probably being good at everything. That's probably the superpower she would probably say. I, I don't know. Well, I don't know. That's a hard question. I probably probably would be something like that, that I could just pick up anything and become pretty good at it. What's your biggest regret? Ooh. So this is also part of like the superpower. Just, 
it's very interesting. Just about a, a lot of things that I've done in my life, I have been <laughs> the worst player on the best teams. Mm-hmm. So I was a semi-pro paintballer. It's very interesting, like X-Ball. Um, I went, I was going to play football in college, got hurt, played baseball at a top 25 D1 college. Like, like, but then I was like the worst player on the top 21 D1 college. And, uh, but going into college, this is my regret. Going into college, I played video games professionally. And how old or when was this? 2006. 2006? So 2005, 2006, 2007, I played a video game called Counter-Strike. Mm-hmm. And I played on the mouse and keys professionally. And like back then though, it wasn't what it is now. Like when you won a tournament, you got a new graphics card. Like you got a new this, your team split a thousand dollars, right? Mm-hmm. Like, or like, but if you were on like the main stage, then like you split like a hundred grand, mm-hmm. but it's nothing what it is now. And so I got to college and I was playing baseball in college and my team was like, Hey, we got practice today. And I'm like, I got baseball practice. Like, what am I going to do? And so, um, the biggest regret of my life is that I chose to quit the team and continue to play baseball. And this is the year like Twitch came out, which like my personality, I feel like I would have done pretty well on Twitch. (laughs) Uh, And so uh, this is the year Twitch came out. And so I just, and what I know now, and we've seen it, we've seen stadiums feel like just absolutely fill up with um, the hundreds and thousands of people to watch people play video games. And they win five, some 16 year old won $5 million at a Fortnite tournament. It's crazy. So, and here's the thing, and there's no judgment on you. Right? Uh, no so, judgment. Oh, look, whatever. Right? I am who I am. From what I've observed on the outside looking in, you don't have to be that great at gaming. No. You just have to be great on camera. Personality. Gaming. Bro. Oh, yeah, that's right. Right? That's so right. if you can talk to the camera while being significantly above average, B plus, A minus. Steve, I still stream on Twitch sometimes. Okay. Which is really interesting. I'm not very popular at all. But I'm just saying, like, you don't have to be like... <laughs> Uh, you don't have to be 100, percent right? That's right. I think if you're like B plus A minus mm-hmm. gamer, right, where you win consistently, but you're not right. elite, elite, mm-hmm. but you got a personality. Mm-hmm. That's it. You'll do really well. Oh yeah. And I think with <laughs> your personality, I would have done. I, really, I, I'm really probably well. with you on that biggest regret. That is the biggest regret of yeah. my life. But it wouldn't help you with your BHAG. It would not have. That's true. But my BHAG would not have been that. But yeah. I'm still the same person, so maybe it would have changed. I actually still, Steve. I can guarantee you, in the next like five to six years, I'll own an e esports team. Yeah. Yep. We'll see it. We'll see it. I've already bought the I've already bought the URL. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you already bought the URL. What is it? It's um, it's Pure Flare GG. So like Pure Flare Homes is what we have. Um, Flare is there's a, there's wording around Flare, the word Flare that I like, and so Pure Flare GG, Pure Flare Gaming. So mm-hmm. Pure Flare GG is the website. So I right, um, so we're gonna get disrupt, disruptors GG. Yeah, like, oh, that's right. And, 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 we'll start and one. Yeah, yeah, Let's get it. <laughs> um, so yeah, I've already got the Instagram handle. I've already got the the the, the URL and everything for yeah. it. All right, all right. Uh, how did you learn your greatest lesson? Mm, by failing. I don't know what the greatest lesson is, but mm. I've learned it by failing. Yeah, there's no doubt. Whatever the lesson is, it's, it's been learned by failing. You don't have any particular lesson that like uh, is etched into your memories more than than another. Bro, I fell so often. That like, I don't know. Um, I can't think of one, I'm gonna be honest with you. But like, I just think that also failing often and the ability to like, be un, un, like, um, what's the word? It's um, fearlessly authentic Mm -hmm. 
um, is is probably uh, one of the reasons why like I'm okay with failing because my identity is not wrapped in succeeding in that one specific thing. I am who yeah. I am and I'll always be who I am and I just don't care. I'm the same person right now. You'll see on this podcast, I'm the same person in front of you any other time. Fearlessly authentic, but also I will fail fast, mm-hmm. real fast. And that I think like that's like my biggest lesson is like, I'll fail fast, but I know that that's going to get me where I want to be faster because then I learned that didn't work, and then I go and do something else. And I can speak for that, right? Because I've seen you in all three th- three different phases of your real estate journey. Yes. Right? <laughs> yes. Peak, <laughs> crash, <laughs> and here. Yep. So I got to see all three, all three different phases. Yeah, that's true. That's absolutely true. Yeah. <laughs> I fail fast, <laughs> often. Uh, what book have you gifted more than any other? Oh, gifted. Um... A couple books. So one, Don't Waste Your Life by John Piper. Really good book, Christian book uh, on Christianity as a whole and who Jesus is. Um, The second one would probably be, um, I really like, ooh, um, probably Good to Great. I think that's a really good book, Jim Collins. Yeah. Nope. How to Win Friends and Influence People. That's probably the book I've gifted the most. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I see you're probably, you know, pretty decent, decent at that part. Winning friends and influencing people. Oh, fantastic. Thanks, man. Appreciate you. Um, so uh, I want you to think about some last thoughts mm-hmm. you'd like to leave the listeners with uh, while I make a couple of quick announcements. So, uh, guys, we do have our virtual event coming up. Uh, it's one day, all day, virtually. So we recognize that times are tougher at this exact moment. So if you guys are looking to get better at sales, this is the only time we've ever offered virtual sales training. So... Uh, December 8th, go to disruptors.com slash virtual. If you want to check it out, we have the great fortune of working with the best uh, in the country. So, uh, you know, we got to hear yesterday, Pace and Jamil is like, you know, yeah, someone better. Had an opportunity to work with you and your organization. So, oh, guys, you. if you're looking to get better at sales, disruptors.com slash virtual. We're doing this uh, online at, at a price that we don't normally do it at. If you guys are interested, go check that out. Dang, do it. Yeah. Do it. <laughs> so what are the last thoughts you want to leave uh, everyone with? My biggest last thought is like, really, like live a life that is fearlessly authentic. Because I think the moment that your identity begins becomes wrapped around something that is outside of who you actually are is the moment that you start living a life on sinking sand. Your ship's going to crumble back and forth to and fro by the waves of the sea, right? Like, but if you can be rooted and have a strong foundation in who authentically you are, where you want to go in your life, what that vision is, whatever that is, then I think then you are able to like set that path to go that way and and not be distracted by other things. And so for me, it's just like, I just kind of live by that, like just be fearlessly authentic, man. I My hope is that somebody can look at me and go, yep, that's the same Devin that I was with last night here or was hit here and that like I'm above reproach in my character mm. um, and who I say I am, that's who I am. And, that, and that's just kind of like what I want to leave people with because it's very, very easy to be caught up in what other people think of you. Yeah. And when that happens, you begin to lose sight of who you are. Well, you said something really powerful there. Once you attach your identity to something outside of your control, mm-hmm. now you're going to, at some point or another, You'll be pretty upset. That's right. Right, you're going to experience some pretty, uh, probably traumatic uh, unhappiness. That's exactly right. Uh, someone wants to get a hold of you. What's the best way? Oh, uh, best way, 
devin.robinson1 on Instagram. I'm on there pretty often. So I'll, I'll see your DMs. Uh, yeah, that's probably a pretty easy way because like, I'm happy to jump on a call. I'm happy to jump on and, and answer any questions. That's probably going to be the easiest way. Yeah. Devin.robinson1. So, Instagram, devin.robinson1. Installmentmethod.com, yeah. wholesale2024.com. Yes, please. Those will change your business forever. I'm a little biased, but I really think it will. Yeah, perfect. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Steve. Appreciate what a pleasure. It. What thank you guys honor. for watching. See you guys next time. Shout See ya. Steve Train. Jump on the Steve Train. We real estate disruptors.